Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, we travel to San Diego to take on Landon Donovan's San Diego Loyal on June 19th. Some of us traveled by road, some by air, we played on the beaches, we swam in the ocean, we drank craft brews, we befriended their supporters, and despite having Aidan Quinn and Kev Lambert back in our midfield, we got beat 2-1. Shake it off boys, we'll come back faster, smarter, stronger, with improved shot accuracy, faster reactions, cooler heads, and a commanding and convincing win against our next opponent, Sacramento Republic. We have a ton in store for you today, Phoenix Rising family, and we might be making history with this episode. We're trying something that we haven't seen before, and that is where we review the game with two analysts. One, a Phoenix Rising supporter, and the other, a San Diego Loyal supporter, Alan Underwood. Is it a disaster waiting to happen? Stick around and find out. In another segment, we're going to give you the lowdown on the fan experience on game day at San Diego Loyal's Torero Stadium. We're going to talk about the atmosphere, the stadium, the parking facilities, and we'll tell you why you'll hear different chants supporting San Diego Loyal coming from different parts of the pitch during a San Diego Loyal home game. That's not all, friends. You're going to be up to date on the USL standings and our second special guest, Kevin Vogt, is with us to fill us in on our next opponent, Sacramento Republic. Kevin is a staff writer with Urban Pitch and a former columnist with Italian team AS Roma. Kevin's got news to share about something of a dramatic twist with Sacramento Republic's bid for MLS. He tells us about some prospective celebrity investors for that team and, of course, We'll preview the upcoming game that we're all looking forward to on May 26th. Thank you for joining us, Phoenix Rising family. Let's kick things off with a review of Torero Stadium and the experience on San Diego Loyal's game day. Hey everybody, this is Niall and Kelly. We took a trip to San Diego to see Phoenix Rising take on San Diego Loyal and we had a fantastic time at Torero Stadium. Kelly and I are going to talk about the fan experience on that night. Kelly. Did you have a good time? (laughs) Well, spoiler alert, we lost, (laughs) which is always rough and especially rough in, you know, someone else's stadium. But despite that, um, yeah, we had a really good time. And I think it's important that we share that fan experience, you know, just so people hear a little bit about what it's like to go to a game elsewhere and to encourage them to travel out to San Diego for our next match against the Loyal. There was a lot of foot traffic going into the stadium. We drove, and I thought that the parking was easy. It didn't take us long to get a spot. It was a short walk from their parking structure over to to the field. I was happy with that, Kelly. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. Staff were welcoming, fans were welcoming. And once you enter into the stadium kind of proper, um, really the atmosphere hits you. And... It's less so about what you're seeing. You know, you're kind of in a courtyard, which isn't that impressive. But the point is the supporter section is mic'd and there's video on them. And so you can really hear them. And it's really a soccer ambiance with drums and chanting. And they're on the Jumbotron as well. So you can kind of see them and it gets you right into, I guess, the mood. 
yeah, for sure. As soon as I was in the gate, I felt like, oh my God, I'm late for this. The concert's already started. Let me get in here. And, you know, I knew that we were there a half an hour early, but it was, it was just exciting to be there. So the stadium itself, when you, when you walked through the courtyard, the stadium was in this big dugout, basically. Um, what did you think about that, Kelly? I liked it. I mean, as stadiums go, you know, we understand that it was built for soccer. So all seats in the house really appear to be good. You're close to the action. It seemed like kind of felt like a narrow or smaller field, but as a result, you really are close to the players. You've got a great view. The stadium itself wasn't particularly comfortable. It's, um, I guess, bench seating. I'm not sure if I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name for that. But Bleachers. Yeah, it's like bleachers. So you're pretty close to your neighbors. You're close to the people behind you and in front of you. But again, lends itself to the atmosphere. So now will you tell a little bit about the support, the sort of small supporter section that we were near? So yeah, so we were sitting um, right by midfield and there was just a, a little pocket of Phoenix Rising supporters that we found ourselves in the middle of, which was really, really cool. We could see the um, Phoenix Rising supporters groups over in the distance. And it was interesting that they placed them next to the San Diego Loyal supporters group. I thought that was really odd. But anyway, um, in addition to having a supporters group that was over behind the um, behind one of the goals, they also had a, another supporter section that was close to midfield. And it was a very different vibe. That's what you're getting at, right, Cal? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So behind the goal, you had the drums and it was it was a very um, a similar type of feel that you get when you're when Phoenix Rising are at home. But what was going on with the midfield is that there was this the, the subgroup of uh, supporters group and they were less Latin oriented and more British oriented. So no drums, but a lot of chanting. And it was chants that were directed at the players and the love. And it's like they had a song for each player. It really reminded me of games that I attended, you know, in Ireland. And of course, I'd seen on the TV from the Premier League. But, um, but yeah, it, it, was, it was very unexpected. And it was so much fun. I think it was really exciting for the players on the field to, you know, have two supporters groups cheering them on. Agreed, agreed. And despite ourselves, we really wanted to join in. I mean, the songs were catchy. They were so fun. They were about the different players. You know, they had a song for the keeper. They had a song for number 24, Metcalf. So, yeah, it was it was a good time. And in fairness to those that we were around, when, we, when Phoenix Rising scored their one lone goal of the game, the five of us or seven of us in our little section were very loud and... The people around us, they, they gave us a pass. <laughs> they yeah. let us cheer on. They, so. they did. And we did. We wanted to cheer in, but we wanted to change the names of the players. But we were, we were sadly outnumbered. That wouldn't have worked <laughs> so well in our favor. The last thing to talk about is just the end, kind of exiting the stadium and our experience, seeing our own players walk by. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it was very weird. We were outside of the stadium um, on our way to the parking garage, there were police officers there holding us back. And there were shuttle buses. And I said, um, we're not on the shuttle bus. Uh, we're just going to the parking garage. And they said, yeah, the shuttle buses are actually for the players. So 
we had to wait and let the players walk in front of us and onto the bus. So we didn't have to wait for all the players, but just just a few, and then then they let us by. And and uh, I just wondered, you know, do they not have changing rooms for the Phoenix Rising players at that stadium? What were your thoughts, Kelly? The game had started to get a little rough towards the end. You know, it was just everyday stuff, but, you know, fouling and some fighting a little bit. So my first thought, honestly, was like, whoa, they're speeding the Phoenix Rising team out of, like, whisking them out of the stadium for fear there's going to be a brawl. (laughs) I'm from Jersey. This is where my mind goes. Um, And, yeah, so that was kind of what I thought was like, wow, they're making a quick exit of the team. But, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think they had... Um, changing rooms for them and showers for them. And that's just kind of common protocol. Now, keep in mind, I'm the type of fan that sprints out of the stadium so that I don't have to wait around in the parking lot. So we were out there pretty quickly. I mean, this wouldn't have been something that was a big inconvenience for most people leaving the stadium. But after they let them through, we sprinted to the parking garage and we were out of there. Uh, The egress was pretty easy, quick and easy, and we're on our way. So all told, definitely a great experience, you know, oh, would have yeah. been way more fun oh, if yeah. we were gloating, puffing our chests out on the way out. But <laughs> but nonetheless, I really enjoyed it. And of course, uh, getting out of the heat and spending time in San Diego um, was wonderful. So we highly recommend that you take a trip. If you're, you know, so fortunate that you're able to take time off work or can travel, you know, and work remotely or, you know, have some vacation time. Yeah, for Lined sure, up. for sure. Well, so we had a great night. Too bad that we didn't win. And we'll be back next time. And uh, Kelly, it was fun chatting with you. Thanks so much. And thanks for going to the game. <laughs> you betcha. Next up, Phoenix Rising family, we have our first special guest, Alan Underwood. Alan is a well-respected voice in USL football fandom. You've probably liked lots of his tweets. And if you listen to the USL show, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. As well as his time on the USL show, Alan is also a co-host on Orange County SC's Orange and Black podcast. And this is where it gets risky. Alan is the guy that is front and center of the San Diego Loyal Supporters Group. He plays the bass drum in Section 109 in Torero Stadium. Not only that, he's the creator and co-host of the San Diego Loyal Supporters podcast, which is called the Fair Weather Podcast. So, you can see why it would be risky to do a game review with him. Some of you might be thinking, anybody but him. Let's see how it goes. We're going to review the June 19th game that was in Torero Stadium, where San Diego Loyal beat Phoenix Rising 2-1. This is Niall Dunn, defender of the Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to the Fan Experience. And first of all, we're just going to go in and, and talk about general thoughts. So, Alan, tell us your general thoughts about that game last night that, of course, ended in your favor 2-1. Uh, is anyone surprised that it was a hard-fought, chippy match? Uh, mm-hmm. That two teams that clearly want to dominate possession and dominate the other team uh, did not like each other by the time the game was over. I think there's also history with uh, several players uh, not liking the other franchise. Um, and I know that there's a brief history in, of Phoenix and San Diego. Uh, so I always look forward to these matches because I know they're going to be hard fought. Uh, I know that they're going to be entertaining. Uh, and most of the time, um, someone's walking away disappointed because, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a tight match outside of the first game of both seasons where Phoenix uh, definitely uh, 
uh, destroyed San Diego. Uh, it seems to be that these two teams have figured each other out and it's always going to be a close entertaining match for both parties. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we, we do want strong teams and strong rivalries. It's great for the game. It's great for the fans. It's great for the league. Kelly, what are your overall thoughts on the game? Um, I agree. You know, I think it was a really great game. I think it was, as Alan said, two well-matched teams. Um, and both those teams showed some moments of real grit, determination, and and great play. Um, you know, we'll get into this in a different segment in our podcast, but it was a fun stadium. I mean, despite the fact we didn't sit with the supporters, we were kind of in enemy territory, and we still had a really great time. I mean... Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I mentioned that because I think the crowd made a difference. I like to think if we'd played this game at home, we might've won, <laughs> but we didn't. And uh, it was really well matched and it was fun. And Alan mentioned in his podcast uh, that dropped last week, you know, one of the keys to winning this game was to frustrate Phoenix. And I think they did that. And I think that that made a difference in terms of the result, but overall an awesome night. Okay, let's get into the goals. So that first goal was a San Diego goal. San Diego had possession. They were bringing the ball up the field. And with no objection from the Phoenix players, the ball made its way beautifully to Jack Blake. He was able to find space. Maybe you could say that he was unmarked. A few quick quick steps from him and boom, a clinical shot that proved too much for our goalie, Ben Lunt. And it safely landed into the bottom left corner of the net. So, Alan, beautiful goal. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, in the post-game interview with Rick Shantz, he mentions that uh, the midfielders kind of swap places and that might have opened up a little bit of a space where uh, maybe they weren't used to having a little bit of space. And when you have a quality guy like Jack Blake, even the smallest space can be deadly. And we see this with Phoenix, with Santi Moore, uh, Sante getting into these really like half spaces and really taking advantage of that. Uh, I think Jack Blake uh, did a really good job and Loyal really uh, played the game they wanted to play in the first half. And I think that that was kind of the the end product of that uh, with that first goal. It's just a little bit of space is all you need. Uh, a well-placed shot uh, just out of the keeper's reach um, in the corner. And I think you know, uh, maybe a little bit of a slow step to him in both goals, but I wouldn't say that Phoenix was defensively negligent in any way. It was just it happened to find a little bit of space and he shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's what his mind was uh, all game long was just to get the ball toward the net. And I think um, that paid off. All right. Goal number two it was a long pass to Corey Herzog on the left side of the park. He found himself one-on-one on, one on one with the rising defender, Joey Farrell. He couldn't find a way through, or, or he didn't look to find a way through, and he passed the ball back to Miguel Ibarra. Um, Miguel Ibarra was basically body-slammed by Solomon Asante. The ref gave the advantage. The ball made its way to San Diego's Charlie Adams, who tapped it over to Jack Blake, who was waiting for the ball. And at about 25 yards out, Jack Blake, again, didn't need an invitation, head down, full force, and once again, beat the defense and beat the goalie. It was a brace for Jack Blake, San Diego 2, Phoenix Rising nil. Alan, tell us about that goal. Yeah, I had a chance to ask him about this one, and he basically just said the same thing. Like, I turned, and my first thought was shot. Uh, And again, this, you know, it beats the keeper, tucks itself right by the post. Uh, I think it was a really another a, a tough a tough um, 
play for Lunt to get to. Yeah. Um, it's one of those where it was just a perfectly placed shot. Um, you move the goalkeeper slightly with that touch from Adams. Um, and I think that opens up that corner uh, and he just put it beautifully into that net. And I think that's the one where he went and bowed in front of um, kind of in between where the supporters group was and where the Phoenix supporters group was, we're kind of like that, that set that playing for pride section was, or that pride night section was. Uh, and then Corey Herzog definitely went over and taunted the Phoenix supporter section <laughs> as he's, as I mean, he's been pretty vocal about his dislike for Phoenix rising. Sure. Um, sure. I mean, there's some people that hype that up. There's some people that's like, all right, let's just beat them on the pitch. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think there, that, that, there's that passion that I think people really appreciate as well. Like, as an away supporter, I kind of want the other team to taunt me a little bit if they're doing well because that fires me up and gets me going. And there's a little bit of that as well. It's like, that's going to fire Phoenix up. And is that what we want to do to one of the most potent offenses in the history of the USL? Right, absolutely. And and that that was the end of the goal scoring for San Diego and, and it was Phoenix's turn. So the third goal, it started with Aiden Quinn. He delivered a long pass to Prince Sadie who trapped the ball right at the 18 yard box, kept his composure, moved forward and some effective dribbling made his way to just outside the penalty box. He passed it over to David Egbo. David Egbo uh, had been substituted on for Rufat Dadashoff. Egbo took the shot, was saved by the goalie, Trey Moose, but Arturo Rodriguez was there to get the rebound and put Phoenix on the scoreboard at the 66th minute. Kelly, over to you. What are your thoughts on that goal? Oh, thank goodness it came. <laughs> it was exciting. I uh, certainly was hoping it would give us the momentum to tie up, but uh, it was nice to see our subs and their production. You know, they were subbed in and, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but, you know, they did bring some energy and they brought some attack that had been sorely missed leading up to that. Um, you really saw their efforts and, you know, it was a nice shot by Egbo. That was our first time seeing him on the pitch and, you know, he he did what we're wanting Dadashov to do, which was just no matter what, take the shot, turn around, know where you are. Um, yes, it was deflected and Arturo was ready. And and it was a beautiful finish. You know, we'd seen that like attempt to finish by Phoenix and they're going over the post or they're going too wide. And I mean, he just he was calm, you know, a moment of calm that you love to see. So it was really exciting and um, awesome work by the subs, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Can okay. I just say, I'm so sorry. Of course. I, I just wanted to comment really quickly back to the second goal. I was hoping you'd ask me about that one um, for San Diego. And I, I haven't had a chance to watch the game again and the replays aren't that clear. So I don't know um, if Alan noticed this or if anyone has a comment, but I felt like that penalty that you mentioned, Solomon got a, well, he didn't get a penalty. The ref said play on, which was the right call. But I think the Phoenix team thought there was going to be a, uh, the play was going to stop and it felt a little bit like everyone relaxed and that led to that second goal. So um, I just want to mention that because I've noticed a couple of times that our defensive line will often make calls. They'll call people off sides. They'll call handball. They'll call the ball out and they'll stop playing. And that's just something that really irritates me. It's like soccer one zero one play the whistle. Let someone else call it, please. And I felt like that was, you know, it could be wrong. And perhaps when I watch the full match again, I'll see this differently, but it felt like, um, 
it felt like the intensity dropped and we thought that the ball was going, you know, the play was going to stop. And that's not to take anything away from that beautiful goal. But I think that might've been a factor that should be considered and that should be discussed, you know, is play on, let the rest yeah, rest. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, everybody knows that the, the Phoenix style of play and that Rick Shantz, our manager, likes to put out a 4-3-3 formation, four defenders, three in the midfield and three forwards. Alan, I'd like to talk to you about the San Diego Loyal formation. So is it a 4-4-2? Is it a 4-4-1-1, depending on how you see Miguel Berry? What are your, what are your thoughts on the formation? Uh, it's been pretty fluid. Um, it's usually on paper a 4-4-2 when you look at it, like how they're set up, but then how they play, like if you watch, especially early in the match, uh, Jack Metcalf likes to move up pretty high. He's that, that right wing back. Yeah. And it's almost like, it's almost a three, five, two in possession, uh, where Jack Metcalf likes to get high and play as kind of that fifth midfielder. Uh, and then that's what, um, Santi Mora took advantage of in that first match that leaves that huge gap behind him. Uh, so they've been kind of working on more of a 4-4-2 where Jack pulls back really quickly, but he does like to get forward. Um, I think with Miguel Berry and Corey Herzog, it's more 4-4-1-1 where, where uh, Berry is kind of that target man up high. And we saw mm-hmm. you, um, San Diego use that a lot to uh, break the early press of Phoenix. So they were pressing really high and really, really successfully, actually. Um, But I think um, when you look at it on paper, when they're set up 4-4-2 in defense and offense, it's more 3-5-2, 3-5-1-1 with that movement of uh, Metcalf up. Sure, sure. And your coach, Landon Donovan, he's said that he's figured out Phoenix and it can be argued that he proved that last night and now maybe it's Rick Chance's turn to figure out San Diego and to figure out that fluid movement especially when they're in attack. Kelly you mentioned last week or you mentioned about the last time that Phoenix met San Diego that Ryan Flood seemed to be overloaded um, in his defensive capacity that he had two men that he was constantly marking. I think that was uh, Metcalf and uh, and Blake. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my eyes are opened here. I, I just had so many notes from last night. Like, why is Metcalf just wide o- open hanging out? <laughs> you know, what's yeah. going wrong or what's going right, I guess, depending on your perspective. But yeah, Flood had his work cut out for him once again. And, you know, um, he, he had to choose who he's going to defend. So that was, it was highly effective and we needed to adjust. Um, I would have liked to have seen someone from our midfield come out and pick him up and just kind of turn that, turn that off, but it worked. Yeah, sure did. I'm really enjoying this conversation guys. I just want to say, so Kelly, let's talk about the Phoenix defense. We had Ben Lunton goal, Darnell King, right full back, Ryan flood, left full back, Joey Farrell and James Musa as our center backs. Were you surprised to see that lineup last night? And uh, just tell us how they did. Yeah, I was a little surprised. You know, um, we had had some, I'll say complaints, maybe some criticism of uh, Farrell's play in our prior game against Tacoma. And so seeing him back on the field was a little surprise and I was delighted. I thought he had a great game. 
Um, you know, our team in general was great in the air last night, and he was a huge part of that despite his red bandana and head gash. So I was really impressed with him, and I felt like, you know, as we've seen some some changes in our back line, we've seen those players step up and really play for their position. And, you know, if you're a former player, you know what that feels like when you're playing for your spot. And that's how Farrell looked. And I was delighted with him. I thought he was really, really strong. I mean, our defense had like 80% success rate on tackles. So um, they were great. Obviously there were some holes, there were some weaknesses in terms of picking up men, but in general, I was impressed with their play. I think King looks good. He's just so fit. And I mean, I, I really don't have too many complaints. You know, we talked about the goals and they, they could have done better, but those were some great goals. You know, Lunt was a little bit off, I think. Um, I, I, I don't know why, you know, and, and maybe he just got caught, caught out because our back line wasn't where they should have been for those goals, but he was just, a, he was just like a second off, you know, a step off a little bit, but generally speaking, I really can't complain too much about the defense. I think, I think they played hard and, um, they had a big job. They had a big job they to did. do. Yeah, Joey Farrell had his hands full with Miguel Berry. And I mentioned in a, a previous episode that when you bring a player like Miguel Berry on, that it's it's going to rise the whole team. Uh, he's a game changer for any, any, any club who's lucky enough to get him. Um, so Joey Farrell was tasked with shutting him down as much as possible last night. And I thought he did a fairly good job, but Alan, you might argue, how did Miguel Berry do last night? Um, I mean, Miguel Berry, you, you want him to score goals, but I think what his job was, was being that pressure release valve. And what Miguel Berry does when he doesn't score goals is kind of like tactical gravity. He pulls players to him because he is, he's, he's so impressive. Like I watched him in practice and he's hitting shots. I'm just like, are well and above uh, even like Corey Herzog and Jack Blake. Like he's, he's a beast and he gets so much attention brought to him that allows folks like Blake to have that extra bit of space. And, and like I said, not like tons, not like wide open. Metcalf was pretty open at times, but really in that middle of the park where you have an incredible midfield, I know we're going to talk about Phoenix's midfield in a second, but Phoenix has a really good midfield and they're kind of uh, with the defense trying to keep track of Jack Blake and when Miguel Berry pulls forward, it makes the back line drop and you have that just that extra space that Jack Blake was able to take advantage of. So that's what Miguel Berry brings is not just goal scoring and kind of this like powerful guy who can position himself well, but he also sucks people in that allows his other players like Guido and Blake to be successful. Good insight, Alan. Um, Kelly, before we leave the back line, we had some defensive subs that came in, but they came in later. Tate Schmidt came in for Ryan Flood at the 76th minute, and Noah Billingsley was in for Darnell King at the 85th minute. So to me, that suggests that our coach was generally happy with the performance of the back line. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. You know, um, we're, I, I, 
I was a little confused about the substitutions, to be honest. Um, I know Flood worked so hard, as we mentioned. He, he, you know, was essentially marking two men most of the night. And I think he was pretty exhausted. And I think he maybe sustained a bit of a head injury as well. So that might have explained the substitution there. We're also trying Schmidt out in our back line. And he looked good. You know, obviously, he added some fresh legs, um, which was nice, which was needed, rather. Um, and he also is aggressive, you know, he's played a lot of different positions on the field. And so he was, he was ready to jumpstart that attack from the back line. So that was great. Billingsley, you know, I'm not sure why he came on for King other than just maybe freshening things up, giving us a little bit more energy, but he was solid. Um, yeah, he played really well and he had a, he had a tough job. You know, they tested him quickly as you do. I think when someone comes in in the back line that late in the game you know, you try and catch them off. You're often flat footed. So I just wanted to comment, sorry, Niall, I had raised my hand via zoom as well. <laughs> just talking about Miguel Berry. I was going to call him a beast as well and wanted to make sure that didn't come across negatively. Cause it's like, I mean it in the best sense, but yeah, I really think we should watch him, watch his movement, see what he's doing. And, and that's what we'd like to see more from Dadashov. You know, if you're going to be tall, if you're meant to be an imposing player there up top, like Miguel Berry is, you've got to do the work off the ball. You know, you've got to make, you've got to get covered so that it opens up the rest of your forwards. And Miguel Berry does an amazing job at that. And Dadashov is not doing that. He is, he's phoning it in a little bit. We'll get to it, but you know, he's making some runs, but I don't think anyone believes that. I don't, I don't think anyone's chasing him. So just yeah, wanted to give yeah. that shout out kind of to Berry begrudgingly. Okay. Sure. Let's talk about our, our forwards. So obviously on, on your side, Alan, you've got Miguel Berry and Corey Herzog. And for Phoenix, we've got Santi Mora, Rufa Dadashoff and Solomon Asante. Um, were you were, I can't imagine that you weren't happy with the performance of two, two of those guys last night. You've already talked about Miguel Berry. Anything that you want to add about Miguel or Corey Herzog? Uh, I just think, um, I think this is a good pairing for San Diego. I think it plays to both of their strengths. I think early this season, uh, San Diego's asking too much of Corey Herzog. He's not a typical number nine. Um, he's more of this like poacher, second guy in, shadow striker type of deal. Um, and so now he's being able to play the role that's more comfortable for him, um, almost like a playmaker and then the guy who gets those tap-ins. Uh, so we're seeing him play better as well. I think when you watch that first Phoenix-San Diego match, it we were just asking too much of guys who weren't that typical number nine. Um, yeah. Okay. And for Phoenix, uh, Santi Moore, Rufat Dadishov, Solomon Asante, we're expecting goals from these guys. We didn't see any last night. Santi Moore was subbed off. Um, Dadishov was subbed off. Solo was there for the whole game. Um, before we talk about the subs, Kelly, uh, I was actually surprised to see Santi Moore being, being subbed. Um, how did you, how did you rate the performance of Moore and Solomon Asante last night? Well, I think it's hard to talk about our forwards before we talk about our midfield mm -hmm. um, because they, and we'll get there. So I won't, I won't jump the gun, but the distribution was a lot better to our forwards. So I thought they had opportunities and I, 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 I don't think they were great. I don't think they clicked, but I think um, Dadashov was a bit of an issue. You know, the, their defense was doing a great job holding our forwards out wide. You know, they were having trouble cutting in. They were having trouble um, taking shots and they really needed a, they needed someone in the middle that was going to finish, you know? So I think, I think they got shut down a little bit, to be honest with you. 
Um, they weren't, they weren't our terrifying trio that we like them to be. They weren't that effective. You know, I think we needed to change our strategy a little bit and, and have some shots coming from the midfield and allow our forwards to do some cleanup and some finishing. I think that's an adjustment maybe we should have made. So, well, sorry, Kelly. No, I did. I mean, I I just agree with you. You know, we made a couple of substitutions that, that I questioned. And I think taking Sentimora off, especially at the same time as Beccaro, um, took some experience off that field that we needed to keep. Okay. Okay. Um, looking at the stats, there was no shortage of firepower last night. Did you get a chance to see those stats, Kelly? Uh, I did. Yeah. I think we had something like, like 21 shots, seven of which were on target. Um, but it was a 33% shot accuracy, you know, and, and didn't the crowd love that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I was surprised. I was honestly surprised. It didn't feel, it didn't feel like there were that many shots and maybe that's because they weren't completely on target, but it felt, it felt a little more desperation than really clean, you know, attacking. Right. Right. Okay. So let's move to the midfield. Um, Jack Blake, uh, Colin Martin, um, um, Charlie Adams and Miguel Ibarra were in the midfield. Uh, and how did they perform Alan? I'm pretty solid. I think that there's, you know, with Charlie Adams and Colin Martin, you're not asking for bells and whistles. You're asking for really smart play, smart passes, knowing when to recycle possession. Uh, And I thought they did that a lot um, to alleviate pressures, kind of playing back to that back line. Um, Obviously, Jack Blake is kind of the the man of the match uh, from that midfield, but not quite. He he plays midfield, but it's at times almost like a winger. that he plays kind of more of in the front line than he does in midfield. Um, Miguel Ibarra, uh, we've been waiting for him to kind of come around. He's a quality player that makes really smart plays and maybe doesn't get quite this, like the stat love uh, that some of the other players do. But I think having him uh, and Miguel Berry come both come in has really turned the club around with uh, an allowed Guido to play to his strengths as well. Uh, so, a pretty solid midfield, but I think when you're up against Phoenix's midfield, you need a kind of a perfect game. I mean, I, I saw your guys' midfield um, with, uh, obviously, we know Aiden Quinn well, uh, Lambert as well. When I, seeing both of those guys come back, I was like, oh, we're in for it. Because I think that was the big difference in that second match is the midfield wasn't as strong for Phoenix. And I think with the big three up front, I it's really important for Phoenix's midfield to perform well. And they have three of the best midfielders in the league all playing together. Uh, and so I thought that this was going to be a really hard fought midfield battle. And um, I think Phoenix uh, kind of outplayed San Diego for lots of periods of time, but when you can make substitutes, <laughs> like you can bring Arturo Rodriguez in as a sub, like, like, come on, like you, your bench, Phoenix's bench is better than some starting 11s in the USL. And so it's like an embarrassment of riches almost. And they threw, I think San Diego held as much as they could. They learned some lessons from last, the last match. Um, and a lot of that had to do with kind of the defensive mentality of the midfield, just kind of holding strong, bending, not breaking, forcing that ball to the outside and forcing crosses across, um, which, you know, is a strength of Phoenix as well. But I think they much, would much rather have Solomon Asante crossing in than cutting inside. Santi Moore are crossing in versus cutting in. Right. So I think that was, you know, it's really that kind of umbrella shape, if you will, of that midfield forcing the guys out to the outside where their defenders can do a better job. 
Okay. Um, just you mentioned starting 11 there. Were you surprised that Alejandro Guido, given that he had player of the week last week, were you surprised that he wasn't on the starting 11? I think he's coming back into fitness. And um, I know he has some injury history. Um, and they've been really trying to manage his minutes. Um, I don't think he's played a full season with any club and he's missed a good chunk of time. Uh, so I was a little bit surprised he didn't start. Uh, but knowing that he was on the bench, he was probably going to come in um, at some point in the match. Uh, yeah, so after a full week of rest, I was a little bit surprised, but I think he's trying to get back into full fitness after missing a couple matches. Yeah, he came on the 73rd minute and the San Diego loyal crowd just came alive when he when he came on the field. Yeah, he's a local boy, so there's a lot of a love for him uh, gotcha. in, in the region to begin with. Gotcha. Okay, Kelly, back to our midfield with Aiden Quinn, Kev Lambert, and John Beccaro. Thoughts on the midfield? Yeah, I thought they played great, you know, and that's part of the frustration uh, about how the game ended. You know, it was an improvement that we've seen game over game, and part of that, of course, as Alan mentioned, is just that we had Kevin Lambert back from his international duty um, Aiden Quinn was back from a uh, hamstring pull. So they played well, you know, especially in the first half. And they also played, it felt to me like they played like, like teammates who enjoyed playing together, you know, Beccaro and Quinn uh, definitely have a vibe and they, they had their clearly defined roles. They knew them, they stuck to them. Their distribution was good. You know, I do think in a sense we outplayed in the midfield so it's too bad it didn't have, you know, it didn't translate into that successful attack. And Alan spoke to why that happened. And I, I think he's completely right in his analysis there. But generally speaking, I was happy with them. I, I, I think I talked about earlier how I would have liked Quinn. I think it would Quinn to maybe pull over and do a little bit more defense against 24. Do a little more defense. <laughs> Let's clip that for good analysis. But um, but generally speaking, I was so happy to have that trio back, and I thought they performed pretty well. And you know, we ran out of that stadium to leave, and as a result, we saw our team walking by, and it was that trio that we saw leaving and heading to the bus. And they they looked as disheartened as they should for you know for a midfield that played pretty well. And man, they had a lot of work to do. They they played hard. Yeah. We, we definitely need to talk about our subs, but we, we've we covered our starting 11. Um, Alan, we didn't talk about your back line with Jack Medcalf. Um, is, is it Jack Marr or is it Jose Marr? Or... Jack. It's Jack Marr. And yeah, we have, Josh... Jack. we have three Jacks yeah, three and two Jacks. Miguels. Three Jacks and a Josh. It's Josh Yarrow. Yes. And um, is it Elijah Martin? That's correct. Yeah. So um, how'd you like to look at your back line last night? I mean, keeping Phoenix to one goal is pretty impressive. So that's a pretty big success. I thought keeping a clean sheet is almost nearly, it's nearly impossible against Phoenix. Uh, so you, you have to go in knowing that you're probably going to give up a goal at some point. Um, Elijah Martin, um, I love his tenacity. Um, he's a great matchup against Solomon Asante. I think they both have uh, similar speed yeah. um, and he, his angles are really good. Uh, Metcalf is a fan favorite. Uh, he plays with kind of this emotion that I think people love to see from their from their players. And then I thought Josh Yarrow, he really struggled that first match in Phoenix because he just got to the team. Uh, he was dynamite. He was clearing balls out, um, these kind of low crosses. He was getting down and heading them away. I was really, really impressed with his play. 
um, especially knowing kind of where he started with the team, just seeing his development and his confidence grow. Uh, I thought he did a fantastic job of getting in the right position to clear a lot of those balls away. So you didn't have guys like Dadashoff getting some clear touches uh, at his feet. Um, so I thought they did well. And again, if you can, 21 shots is a lot, but if you can keep that, you know, Phoenix to one goal, you have a really good chance of getting, uh, getting a point at least. Um, I thought, I thought maybe this one was a little unfair to Phoenix. They probably deserved a point here. Um, but I think it's the kind of that flip side of what happened in Phoenix is you're heartbroken that you get a point because you thought you should get three. And this one, I really thought Phoenix was hard done not to walk out with a point with the way they played. I'm glad you mentioned that in your back line. I, I had made a note. I've never seen so many diving headers from a center back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All it was beautiful. like every five every five minutes, it seemed like there was a low cross that he was just clearing with his head. And I'm like, I love it. <laughs> Me too. That was awesome. We've got to talk about the subs before we, we finish up. In the 59th, 59th minute, Rick Shantz, he changed our midfield and forwards by bringing on Prince Sadie for Santi Moore, Arturo Rodriguez for John Baccaro, and David Egbo for Rufat Dadishov. I think we can talk about them each individually because I thought they each brought a lot. Let's start with David Egbo. It was the first time, Kelly, that we saw him on the field. Um, what did you see and did you like what you saw? Yeah, I mean, I didn't see a ton. Honestly, you know, there was so much going on in the game at that point. Uh, but he had he was really instrumental in the one goal that we got. And I also felt like in general, he was really solid. He understood what he needed to do, which was be disruptive in the center and was turn and shoot. Um, and he did that. You know, he didn't he didn't have a ton of minutes. And I didn't observe a ton, but I was really pleased with him. I'm really excited to see more of him. And it was nice. You know, we needed we needed things to freshen up. And I, it wasn't like he was subbed alone. So we also had Prince on the outside, who is such a force. But, you know, because I wasn't seeing him on his own, that's about all I observed. But I was really happy with him. I'm delighted to see more of him, for sure. Yeah, I, I thought he brought things up a notch when he came on. How about Arturo Rodriguez? You know, I'm going to go a little controversial here. Um, I really am. And, and I may, you know, people may not share my feelings on this, but, you know, statistically he came in in the 59th minute, he had a goal or was instrument. Yeah. He had a goal in the 66, then he got a yellow in the 69th. So he's someone that is going to make things happen, but I am concerned about his attitude. And I've been concerned about his attitude since I met him the first game that he came in, same thing gets on the field, gets a yellow. Um, I don't love that look. It's not the Phoenix way. I feel like I saw him throw a man to the ground. and like Maybe I was the only one that saw it because he didn't get a yellow for it. But, you know, he picked up the ball and he marched around with it. And I'm just like, you know, I, I feel weird saying it, but I don't love that attitude. I don't think we needed it. And I think, you know, the, the game went, I don't want to say downhill, but it got pretty argy-bargy thereafter. And I think part of that was that negativity. Um, you know, you really, your strengths are your weaknesses and he obviously has fire and that's amazing. And we need that. And I like that he understands our system and I like that he makes things happen, but I'm not sure I'm willing to have that at the expense of someone who's going to pick up the ball and get in the face of the referee, like not down. And I don't think, I don't really think it helped the way the rest of the game went. So 
that's my feeling on him. And I, I don't think people will share it with me, but I just see that as, as a little bit threatening in terms of keeping, you know, we needed to be level-headed and calm and get that goal. And I, I think he contributed to sort of our implosion that happened there at the end of the match. Yeah. He, he got two yellow cards in, in, uh, in different games, obviously, but I think they were both for mouthing off to the ref. And I can see that happening once, happening twice. You know, you're starting to get worried. So I, I share your concerns on that. Kelly. Well, and at that point, it's a maturity issue, you know, and yeah. And I think we had subbed off some experience. And so that that contributed to it as well. Um, let's finish up with Prince Sadie uh, subbed in for Santi Moore. I mentioned earlier that I was surprised to see that substitution. Um, how did he do? Yeah. And, you know, I think they wanted to put in, they wanted to give him minutes and they wanted to give Edbo minutes. So you're probably not going to take off Solomon Asante. So that probably explains that sub. Um, he was great. You know, I do, you know, he doubles down on the footwork and I think it's great, especially at that time when that defense had to be exhausted. Um, you know, he's very comfortable on the ball. He's, he's going to hold and keep possession and make things happen. That said, he had a beautiful, you know, a nice touch in that led to our goal. So I think he's awesome. I'd like to see more of him. I'd like to see, you know, we've only seen him minutes at a time and I'd like to see what he does with a, with a couple more minutes on the field, but yeah, he does what he's supposed to do. He makes things happen. He up levels the play and the attack and he does it with flair. So I'm excited about him. Okay. Um, Grant Stoneman and Ben Spencer were brought on as subs for San Diego uh, right at the end of the game. It was a tactic to slow things down, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so we didn't see a whole lot from them, them, but we had Alejandro Guido came on at the 73rd minute and Callum Montgomery came on at the 68th minute. Did you like what you saw from them, Alan? I mean, I'm never going to say no to what I'd like to see from Guido. Um, I think he's just a special player um, that can element of offensive firepower uh to a team uh he was he he was subbed in for Herzog I think you're taking a forward off and putting in more of like a midfielder uh, and I think that's what with Montgomery as well um is I think San Diego is going to more of a back uh five at times um instead of kind of that four cross I think they were dropping another player back um, and getting some fresh legs to be able to handle uh, the offensive firepower. I think at one point, uh, Phoenix had like seven guys forward on the against the back line, and they were going for the they were going for the draw. And I think having guys like uh, Stoneman and Spencer, uh, who can come on late, who don't have yellow cards already, uh, who might be able to get a tactical foul or just play a little bit more aggressively um versus um some of your your Herzog versus Spencer or your Herzog versus sorry uh Barry was for Spencer um maybe a little bit more defensive minded guys are going to sit a little bit deeper um I do think it was a little bit of uh time wasting as far as the substitutes as you know that's the, that's the game we play it's right and stoppage time sure. you you get some of those subs on and maybe they take a little bit longer than they put minutes back on uh, but Guido's always great. Uh, Montgomery is a, is a young player that plays kind of that uh, the wing back position, right back, left back position. And I've been really impressed with his ability to to come in as a sub and a starter uh, and not miss a beat on that back line. Um, and then Stoney, it's good to see him getting some minutes because he was dealing with an injury from that first match. 
Um, and he was a huge part of the defensive team last season. Uh, so it's good to see him kind of getting back into the match and getting back more match fit. And I think that's a little bit of his substitution too, is just getting him a couple minutes, getting him game game uh, scenarios. Uh, that way, when it comes hot and heavy in a couple months, uh, we'll have a guy ready to go right back into the back line. Okay. Okay. Guys, I think we've covered every player that was on the field. Let's talk about the officiating. Kelly, what did you think of the referee's job last night? <laughs> they had some work cut out for themselves as well. Um, you know, I, I kind of went on ghosted on Twitter on Niall's account. And there was, there was a lot of talk about the officiating, which is something that you like to do when you lose, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was rough. And I think it was, I think I heard, maybe it was a quote from Chance after the game, you know, when asked about the officiating, it was kind of less about the officials and more about the San Diego loyal, um, you know, no disrespect intended, especially with Alan as our guest here, but there was, there was a little bit of like, I'm going, it, it seemed like from my perspective, a little bit of, I'm going to pretend I was fouled going on there at the end. And that's hard to keep up with, you know, especially in a game when there was so much fouling. So I already mentioned, you know, Arturo Rodriguez really didn't necessarily show our best side um, with his kind of attitude towards the official. But I think there was a lot of that on both sides, just kind of getting RG bargy. Um, I think overall they did a good job. I think they let the ball play on when there was advantage and we're, we're doing their best to just keep an eye on everyone, but it, it didn't get out of hand, but it was a lot, you know, there's a lot going on foul wise. So Alan, if you've got any comments on that, feel free to bring them right now. But other than that, if you've got any other closing comments before we, we leave it for today. I mean, I, I think with officiating, it's a really, it's really hard to draw the line between when you want to pull out that first yellow card. Um, and it, you want to see them let play continue, but also like manage the game. And I thought, you know, just like the players are learning, uh, I think this official is going to take this as a learning experience of, of managing a match. I don't think he was bad for most of the match. I thought there was just a couple of times where maybe it was, he could have carded and he didn't. And I think maybe that got under some people's skin a little bit. Um, the Trey Muse situation was weird. Um, in the match, I thought he probably should have gotten the second yellow and got sent off. Uh, but then rewatching it again, I believe the match official is coming over to him to tell him there's already a ball at the corner flag ready to go. And so they didn't need that ball. And so I rewatched it a couple of times. And if you catch in the replay, there's a wide shot and there's a ball sitting right on the corner flag. Um, and so I think that's where he kind of got away, um, got away, away with it, if you will. And I think that really kind of set people off. And that was, that was kind of that last straw with everybody, I think. And the Phoenix got upset, which means Phoenix fans are getting upset. And then loyal is like getting defensive. And I think that that last like six, seven minutes of the match is really where it kind of fell apart on him. And then that kind of colors, you go back and color kind of colors the calls earlier in the match where you probably didn't have a beef with him before, but now it's like, Oh, he missed this. And missed that. And it's like, all right, all right. You know, we're all learning. Um, I, I look forward to these matchups every, every time. I know it's going to be a fun match win or lose. I know there's going to be some awesome play and you're going to get to see some, some players do amazing things. Uh, sometimes you just got to tip your cap. Um, when, you know, Jack Blake scores, scores some worldies. Uh, I've seen Solomon Asante destroy teams before. And again, it's like, you got to tip your hat like that. Was it two years ago, that orange County goal where he just like 
chips the keeper from like 40 yards out. Uh, I was at that match and I remember just being like gutted, but also like, Hey, you got to tip your hat to an amazing player doing amazing things. And so I think that's what I look forward to with these matches is there's so much talent on the pitch that, you know, you're going to see amazing goals or amazing saves, and it's going to be highly entertaining. Um, you're going to feel bad about it, but then, you know, even that, uh, even the two, two draw where I felt gutted, like some of those goals were amazing. Uh, the last corner goal was legit. It was a really fun corner kick sequence where they sucked everyone in and, and, uh, and it was a heartbreak, but, it was also that's the beauty of soccer is that you win games you shouldn't you lose games you shouldn't um and at the end of the day you get to grab a beer with your buds and uh have a good time absolutely your next game alan is an away game to las vegas lights um my score prediction is that you guys are going to win five nil the next time that you guys meet (laughs) phoenix rising is uh back here in san diego and that's going to be on July 24th. So maybe we'll get together before that and, and talk about what we've got to look forward to. But guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Kelly, really appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Alan, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Alan is such a great guy. Follow him on Twitter at aunderwood 48 and tell him I sent you. We have two segments left in the show. Kelly is going to bring us up to date with the USL standings. And after that, Kevin Vogt from Urban Pitch joins us to preview our next game away to Sac Republic. Okay, here's Kelly with the standings. This is Kelly McCarthy, back with you to discuss the USL Championship League standings after a massive week nine. If my counting is correct, there were 19 games this week. With eight games played on Wednesday, June 16th, it was impossible to catch them all and stay up to speed. So it's great you're here with us and we'll do our best to give you the lowdown on what you missed and where everyone stands as we look forward to week 10. Let's talk Atlantic Division. The Tampa Bay Rowdies are still leading their division and the league with 18 points after eight games, But what a delight to report that they lost at home this weekend against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Who? Pittsburgh has moved up into second place in the division after two straight wins in Week 9. Hartford Athletic are in third place, followed by Charlotte Independence. Charlotte lost this week to Red Bulls 2, which was a bit of a surprise and reminds us that the season is still young. Teams are still defining themselves. Let's peek in at the Central Division. Louisville City FC have risen to the top of their division after two back-to-back wins in Week 9. Their second win of the week was against Tulsa FC and included an incredible Olympico goal by Cameron Lancaster. For those of you who haven't had the chance to Google that yet, it's basically when your corner kick turns into an unassisted goal. Hot damn! Birmingham Legion are in second place in the Central Division, Indy 11 are in third, and FC Tulsa are in fourth place despite losing four out of their last five matches. Let's travel westward and review the Mountain Division. Rio Grande Valley are still in first place with 17 points after nine games played. 
El Paso locomotives are sitting in the number two position and looking particularly good having only played seven matches and being the only team in the league with no losses. And they have four clean sheets. New Mexico United are in third place in the Mountain Division, followed by Austin Bold. Finally, a look at the Pacific Division. Phoenix Rising, the darlings of the West, are still sitting at the head of the table with 18 points after eight matches. Phoenix suffered a loss to San Diego on the road this weekend, but those of us who made the trip really can't complain. I mean, we really can complain, but since we got out of the heat for a few days, it was still a net positive situation. Orange County are in the number two spot in the Pacific Division with 13 points after seven games, and Los Dos have dropped to Los Tres after two straight losses. Notably, their most recent loss was at home against the Las Vegas Lights, who scored four goals to their three. Wait a minute. Is a game in LA a home game for Las Vegas as well? I'll need to ponder that one. San Diego are in fourth place and are admittedly picking up steam and finding their rhythm with 11 points after nine games. In addition to picking up steam and picking up points, a few of their players should have picked up Oscars after some compelling fake foul performances on Saturday night. And if that sounds like sour grapes from a fan who had a long drive home yesterday, well, it is. Thanks for listening to the Fan Experience Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, which includes actual audio of the Pacific Ocean, please give us a five-star rating. We would really love to get some stars from people who aren't related to us. Come to think of it, we would really love to get some stars from people who are related to us. Hmm. Our next guest is Kevin Vogt. Kevin is a staff writer for Urban Pitch, where in the last few months he's written cover stories on the CONCACAF Champions League, the European Super League, and Serie A, the Italian Soccer League. Before joining Urban Pitch, Kevin was a columnist for the Italian club AS Roma. His most recent story is titled, It's Time to Put the Soccer versus Football Debate to Bed. And I don't know how it happened, but he agreed to join us on the fan experience to talk about Phoenix Rising's upcoming game against Sac Republic and a few other tidbits. Let's get into it. Kevin Vogt, thank you so much for being with us on the fan experience today. I've heard that you've got some news for us about the MLS bid as far as Sacramento is concerned and their investors. What do you have to tell us? Uh, yeah, so so recently uh, it's it's come across in the news that there's been a lawsuit filed um, basically against Sacramento Republic's lead investor, uh, or former, I should say now, Ron Burkle. Uh, and the lawsuit is alleging, uh, among other things, fraud and breach of contract. Um, and based on the reports that I saw, um, basically the, the issue here is that uh, contracts uh, regarding the building of their stadium, Sac Republic's proposed stadium down in the rail yards district in Sacramento, were never actually signed. Um, 
So it seems like it's an issue with the contracts never being being signed. Um, and so, you know, relying on a, on a verbal contract and whatnot for for a project as big as a, <laughs> building a sports stadium. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Sure. And um, I imagine and this is just me, I imagine that fans might be a little kind of happy about that because they had a lot of faith in Ron Burkle. And let's face it, he let them down in a huge way, right? Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd say that this this lawsuit um, is is a form of, of kind of the, I guess it's a cathartic experience for the fans <laughs> because they, I'm sure that they wanted to do much more than, uh, than sue Ron Burkle uh, after he pulled out of the deal. Um, but I do think this is one way to enforce, uh, accountability, although, um, maybe I'm just jaded, but you know, lawsuits, uh, can take a long time, right? They take sure. a, a lot of red tape and a lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of lawyers getting involved and whatnot. So, yeah. And, yeah. And, and from what I hear, Ron Burkle himself is no stranger to lawsuits. Yeah, yeah. So I did see, you know, obviously it was a it was a trending topic on um, the in the small corner of, of U.S. soccer Twitter uh, over the past week or so. And uh, and a couple of people have pointed out that uh, this is not really a surprise um, <laughs> to end up in court if you have done business with Mr. Burkle, Burkle before. So. OK, OK. <laughs> All right, so Maybe they that, should have heeded the warning, right? <laughs> sure. So that's all very interesting as far as the MLS bid, but you've got some other news regarding a potential celebrity investor in Sac Republic FC. Want to tell us about it? Yeah. So uh, you know, the, and this has come out in the in the past couple of months, uh, mostly the past month since the bid has uh, stalled and been paused. Uh, but there have been reports that a celebrity ownership group may uh, have interest in stepping in uh, and acting as, you know, as a collective, as the lead investor for the project. Um, and just running down the, you know, the list of names here, you have some very, very interesting names, um, including television personality and sometimes chef uh, Guy Fieri, the uh, the mayor, mayor of Flavortown. Um <laughs> Uh, Tamara Mowry Housley, who, um, you know, for those of us who, who are 90s kids, uh, will recognize her from the show Sister Sister. Um, her husband as well, uh, as well as the musical artist from Oakland E40, uh, as well as a couple of athletes uh, who, who, you know, have called Sacramento home in the past, including uh, current San Francisco 49ers defensive end Eric Armstead. Uh, so I think it's, you know, it's an interesting group of uh group of people uh, I, I wouldn't be opposed to something like flavortown fc uh Ooh. even though i i you know i understand he's a polarizing figure guy fieri in the culinary world I, I happen to like both both he and anthony bourdain um in terms of teaching me about food and culture um but yeah i think i think it, you know that it's a great solution to to a problem um that definitely needs to be solved because i think Anybody who's followed U.S. soccer in the past five or ten years uh, closely will tell you that uh, nobody is more deserving, probably, of a of an MLS expansion spot than Sacramento Republic. Um, and this is a great way to get there. I think it's a new, uh, definitely a new trend we're seeing, uh, especially amongst um, 
teams in the U.S., clubs in the U.S., you look at LAFC's uh, celebrity group, um, you know, that was kind of like the first big one. But also you look at Seattle recently, they've had, uh, you know, Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson buy into uh, a stake in the in the franchise. And I believe his wife, uh, musical artist Sierra as well. Um, you know, NFL player Mark Ingram just bought into DC United. Um, I don't know if you're aware of the, the NWSL much, but the Washington Spirit, their NWSL club, uh, I believe, you know, hockey star Alexander Ovechkin recently bought in, um, as well as uh, Chelsea Clinton and um, one of the, the Bush daughters. Wow. Um, and then, of course, you know, the Phoenix Rising has their own little uh, celebrity ownership group, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Diplo, Drogba and others, of course. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sacramento Republic has an interesting background. They've been together playing in the USL since 2014, 2015. So there's something of a Cinderella story. So tell us about how they started out their first season in the USL. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a it was a magical uh, first season for sure. I think they definitely um, caught caught lightning in a bottle, so to speak. Um, I remember my my brother was going uh, to uh, you know college up near there uh, at the time, and he was telling me about this new soccer team in the area that was going to be in the the lower division uh, in USL. And I believe their first couple of games were played um, not where they play right now at the at the Cal Expo. I think it's called like Papa Murphy's Park. Um, but they played at a at a at a local junior college at a, their stadium and filled out a 20,000 seat stadium. Uh, and so I think that was the beginning of a, of a sleeping giant uh, you know, and from there, that first season, they just had the they had the right players uh, the first year and they had a bit of a Cinderella start uh, to their USL, you know, life winning, winning the whole thing in their in their first year. So uh, yeah. and since since then, they've been a, a fairly consistent uh, contender at the top of the Western Conference uh, standings in the USL and certainly obviously the Pacific Division. So. Sure. So they've raised the USL Cup, something that we've never done in Phoenix. But mm-hmm. let's face, you know, let's be honest. In Phoenix, we do have some bragging rights. Um, you know, our 20 match winning streak was something special as well. And you covered, uh, you you did a preview on Phoenix Rising at the time and spoke with Rick Chance, and it was a really good article. Want to give us some highlights there, and then we'll move on to previewing the game. In talking about that that twenty match win streak that season, because uh, at the time the article uh, debuted early in COVID, um, and so it was mostly about the you know the twenty nineteen season, that body of work, uh, and that incredible historic win streak. Um, and one of the more one of the more interesting quotes that I got from from my uh, conversation with with Rick was. Um, when he narrowed down for me the the exact moment that everything kind of clicked, so to speak, um, when when the winning streak started, um, and it has to do with kind of the the adjustments he made and the and the system that he set in place uh, around that time, which I think is still bearing fruit for uh, for Phoenix Rising today, right? I don't think anyone would. Uh, would argue with that. Um, so it, it happened, uh, it happened in an away game, I believe against Austin. Um, and so I'll just read the direct quote for you here really quick. Um, 
He says, I remember going into the locker room after we had lost to Austin on the road. Uh, and I sat down with all the players and I looked around and everyone was kind of quiet. And I just said, I've had enough and I'm not going to try to change the team every week because of the opponent. I'm not going to worry about what other teams are doing. We're just going to be who I am. Uh, and that is an aggressive attacking person, um, you know, who, who uh, imposes his will on people and gets after them. Uh, and so he wanted the, the team to have characteristics that he had as a player. Um, and so he, he, you know, developed a system around that and even started studying similar systems to kind of pick and choose elements from each system that he was studying to incorporate into his own. Uh, so he went out and spent time, um, he went out to LA and spent time with Bob Bradley and the LAFC staff there. Uh, and they even sent staff members over there to, as you know, kind of an exchange to, to learn, learn and exchange ideas. Uh, they also spoke with Liverpool coaches, uh, and then, of course, you know, nothing nothing is more effective than hitting the uh, the good old fashioned film room and watching uh, a lot of video of Man City and uh, and Barcelona, who are, you know, have been the last, in my opinion, the last two dominant European teams to really impose their style of play uh, on on the world of club soccer. OK, you're giving away all the secrets here. Just just <laughs> just you wait until Mark Briggs starts watching film on Man City and talking to the Liverpool coaches. Then we're going to have a real rivalry. <laughs> all right. Are you ready to talk about this upcoming game, Kevin? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> all right. Fantastic. So it's going to be on Saturday, June 26th in Sacramento when Phoenix Rising take on Sacramento Republic FC. The last time that the teams met was on May 29th. And that was also in Sacramento. So that game was 1-0. It ended 1-0 for Phoenix. It was a hard-fought battle by both teams. And I think that it was a frustrating loss for Sacramento. So I read some follow-up articles. And just, you know, being on Twitter, just saw that Sacramento fans were, were pretty upset and felt a lot of frustration about that. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. I think uh, it, it was a tight result, but fair result uh, on May 29th. Um, but I also don't, uh, you know, that's from the Phoenix perspective, but from the Sacramento fan perspective, I, I don't blame them. Um, to start out the season, you know, they started hot with two wins over uh, the LA Galaxy 2 and Las Vegas Lights. Uh, which for all intents and purposes might as well just be called LAFC two this year. Right. Um, and then they, they lost four out of their next five matches, uh, including that made 29th one against, uh, against rising. Um, so, you know, now they currently find themselves uh, fifth in the USL Pacific division table after, you know, two wins, one draw and four losses uh, about a third of the way through the season. Right. Which is, I don't, that's not a, a place that that club is used to being uh, and they're not comfortable. And I don't think their fans are going to accept that. Okay. Um, and, you know, I don't, <laughs> we can get in more what they need to do to fix it later, but it just seems like basically they've been leaking goals uh, and struggling to score at the same time, uh, which, you know, I think those two things often go hand in hand. Sure, um, sure. And, you know, before their next match against rising on June, uh 29th right isn't it 29th it is okay june 29th 26th, sorry 
sorry, 26. Sorry, you can edit that out. Um, before their next match against Rising on June 26th, they do have a pretty big um, rivalry match against the upstart Oakland Roots uh, coming up here on June 19th. Um, sure. And, uh, you know, I think that that's, uh, that's going to become a big, a big rivalry in USL. Maybe it hasn't yet, but, uh, I, for sure, I think if E40 ends up joining the ownership group of Soccer Republic, considering he's from the, the Bay area and reps Oakland, I think that would make the, the, the rivalry just even that much more spicy. <laughs> sure. Sure. So to contrast, um, Phoenix have had a really good, strong start to, to the season, but in fairness, we've had almost all home games. So since the, since the last game between Sacramento and Phoenix, Phoenix have had two games. Um, they drew 2-0 against San Diego Loyal and they beat Tacoma Defiance 3-0. They do have a game coming up this weekend. Um, and it's going to be the third time that Phoenix are going to be playing San Diego Loyal. And that's an away game. It's the first in... Uh, the first time that we meet San Diego Loyal away. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. So let's get into the nitty gritty. What players should Phoenix Rising supporters be watching out for? Who are the most dangerous players on the Sacramento squad? Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I mean, given their current run of form, it doesn't seem like there's, uh, there's many dangerous players going forward for the Republic right now. Um, so, you know, but that's not, that doesn't mean that the rising don't have to worry and still show up and play the game. Right. Um, but Tucker, Tucker bone, um, for soccer Republic has three goals in seven appearances, uh, this year, which, you know, that's not exactly going to hop off the page at you. Um, it breaks down to about uh, a goal every 128 minutes, <laughs> um, but that's still the best, uh, the best mark, um, for any any of the Sac Republic uh, forward players uh, at this point in the season, you know certain players like Cami Wasa, who previously in previous seasons were mainstays in the uh, up front for Sac Republic in their offense, uh, have have been a little bit disappointing um, so far this season. So we'll see if they can if they can get it going here. Your forwards might not be getting the job done for you guys, but your goalkeeper is certainly doing the business between the sticks. Tell us about Thomas. Yeah, so uh, I might be a little bit biased because um, I'm a member of the goalkeepers union. That was my position when I uh, when I played uh, way back in the day. Um, but I've been really impressed so far with uh, Sac Republic's goalkeeper, uh, Tomas Gomez who has 19 saves in seven, seven appearances so far this year. Uh, you know, obviously um, you could argue that things aren't going well if you're highlighting your goalkeeper um, or if he needs to make that many uh, saves. Um, but I think that, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if Sac Republic turn it around, I think that that's definitely a strength or, or an asset to the team later on down the line is you have a goalkeeper who's definitely battle tested uh, and has proven that he can, he can step up and stop shots and kind of keep, keep the team in the game. Um, which is, you know, again, something later on that, that down the road could, could come in handy for soccer public. Um, sure. even, even in a league where I know USL 
championship tends to have actually excellent, pretty excellent goalkeeping. Talk to us about tactics, Kevin. Talk to us about the style of play that you expect from Sacramento Republic as they continue their run in the season. Yeah, I, I would expect uh, Sac Republic to play similarly uh, compared to how they how they played in the in the match on May 29th, uh, which was clearly play to win um, for anyone watching. Right. And, uh, you know, I would I would expect that because, um, you know, it's, it's still so early in the season. And I think that any any result for a team that's struggling early in the season um, could be kind of a catalyst for changing the season, right? That could be like the, the one moment that changed this, turned the whole season around. Uh, so I, I expect Sac Republic to come into this game um, playing, playing to win and really kind of desperate for, for something positive to highlight, whether that be a tie or, or a win. Great. Okay. So let's finish up here with some final words from you and do include in that a score prediction. Yeah, I do. I think it'll be, I think it'll be a tight affair, just like it was the first time around. Uh, I could see, I could see a result uh, in which Phoenix rising comes out on top two nothing or two to one. Uh, I also would not be surprised to see a one-to-one or two-to-two draw. Um, I stand by that that prediction of the of a narrow rising winner draw. Uh, and if it blows in my if it blows up in my face like Daffy Duck, go ahead and at me. I'm pretty sure you're including my uh, my Twitter right, Nile. Um, the the one caveat that I will say is I don't count out Mark Briggs. Um, you know, he was an accomplished player in his own right. Uh, he won the 2017 USL Coach of the Year Award uh, with, I believe it was Real uh, Salt Lake, their USL team, the Monarchs. Uh, and I think this match, you know, may be a case of, uh, from a Phoenix Rising perspective, um, they may look back on it and and say that they were lucky and and almost prefer to see see Sac Republic twice now versus uh, later uh, because if you see them now you know they're still establishing a new identity and a style of play uh, so I think you know take advantage of it while you can now because you know <laughs> it, it could turn around uh, and and they could surprise some people later on in the year. Sure. Certainly, they traditionally have been at the top of the table, right? I would expect them to to try to do everything in their power to get back there, especially with the MLS bid in limbo. <laughs> Kevin, we covered a lot in our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us on The Fan Experience. Thank you very much for having me, Niall. It was awesome. You can follow Kevin on Twitter at Kevin underscore M underscore vote. A huge shout out to all our guests, Kelly McCarthy, Alan Underwood, and of course to Kevin. Thank you for listening, Phoenix Rising family. Please subscribe to our podcast to ensure that you don't miss an episode. We would love to hear your ideas for our show. Our email address is thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com. We'd love to connect with you on Twitter at FanExperienceFC, and we hope to see you at the next watch party, where together we'll see Phoenix Rising beat Mark Briggs' Sacramento Republic FC 4-0.